Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Konnichiwa, Jane. Well, what a weekend that was, watching what happened in Auckland with the torrential downpour and flooding. It was was kind of like a flash flooding, wasn't it? It just happened so quickly and places people weren't expecting. Goodness. Especially like the airport really shocked me that it didn't have that infrastructure or it was just overloaded with what happened. Mm. And I'd only walked through there a week before. It made me feel very uneasy to think that that could have happened Mm. while I was there, but also that it happened to so many I would say millions of passengers and, um, you know, the airlines that are coming in and out of there dealing with that and restructuring, rescheduling, getting people safe and and on new flights. Gosh, amazingly awful. Mm. Absolutely awful. Yeah. Yeah. So our thoughts are with the people of Auckland and there's other surrounding areas as well that have been hit as well. It's not only Auckland, Mm. but yeah, there's Mm. flooding is, it takes a long time to recover from is, I've experienced here in Fukushima as well. Um, so yeah, we hope to bring some information about how you can contribute if you want to. Um, please check our show notes once we have more information about that. Well, I did see on LinkedIn today a super post I'll mention here. Uh, one company was offering up its workspace to mm. people who had been displaced from their own workplaces. So they were saying, come on in. Here's two or three desks. Come on in and, and um, pitch yourself here if you need to be working, but you've got nowhere to go. So mm. I thought that was just one gesture, how you can mm. help people who need to have a place to work but can't even put their laptop anywhere. Right. Um, I thought that was really, really super. And they'd seen someone else who had offered that, so they were passing it on. I thought that was mm. absolutely super community spirit. That's great. Yeah, so meanwhile in japan (laughs) yes meanwhile in japan big news is they are going to downgrade COVID. in wait for it may late april may that's what i saw (laughs) yeah so finally japan is saying well actually it's probably time we can do that we don't need to have people wearing masks indoors hallelujah uh, and it's being downgraded. Was it to a, f- a seasonal flu? Is that right? Yeah, the same as the seasonal flu. Mm. That's really important for hospitals that are actually treating it as, you know, the equivalent of Ebola at the moment. And, yeah, I mean, I've heard stories of families being separated from someone who's that's not going to be around for much longer and they can't see them because they're in hospital. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. really, really um it's tough time it? to change i think downgrade it at least one level come on <laughs> at least one level yeah i think japan's realizing that now with a lot of gaiatsu perhaps pressure from outside but also just i mean the, the numbers are at three and a half thousand i think in tokyo per day but it's just not going away and we've got to do this so-called with covid um, and it's great great to see because it means if the government have already said they're going to do it that basically people will start sort of doing it before the official time to start mm. Yeah, they're so giving, I think it's great. Kudos to the government time. for making a stance finally to do it. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really good to see. And you've got to give it to Japan. They're risk adverse, super, super careful. I felt the safest ever during the last three years when I was with Japan um, and adopting the measures that they had. And it was tough. Sure, it was tough. But I think I felt 
safe. And so right. now it's time to move forward. And having been in New Zealand and felt that lack of mask wearing, um, it really does make a difference. I even jumped on a bus on the weekend uh, to head off to Shibuya and I didn't have my mask on. And I only realized halfway through, ah, I've got my mask on, naughty really? foreigner. Uh, and put it on. <laughs> the bus driver must have thought, who oh is God. this? Yeah, nobody like shouted at you no or anything. It was just me. like everyone waited for you to figure it yeah. out yourself. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, and then yeah. You, you figured it out. I don't even out, know but... what it was. I think someone got on. I went, oh, mask. That's right. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so there you go. Five weeks in New Zealand and it made me convert. So I'm looking forward to the change in Japan. It's coming into summer then too, spring and summer. And we really do um need to move forward mm, um obviously people forward who, who are compromised or who have hay fever and all those will still continue to wear them and if you feel comfortable wearing it you will that's masks but we're looking forward to it being downgraded and moving forward mm, yeah i'd be interested to see what happens in the schools because the children are still wearing masks to school and all day long in school mm. and a lot of children have actually developed a dependency on wearing a mask and so at some events when the teachers have said it's okay to remove your mask for this performance be before your parents you know some children refuse to remove their mask that they and, and i don't know if it's because you know if in each particular child's case whether they have a dependency on it for their appearance or if it's at they're worried about catching covid or some other reason for it but yeah there's definitely that is an issue that is happening mm. in schools so uh, it was very interesting to see that and i wonder what's mm. going to happen next but in you know true japan form we have several months to get used to the idea that we're going to demask so right. this is why they've given it so much time and i was like they're gonna they're gonna announce it they're gonna announce it oh what may come on you know but but this is typical, this is how long it? it's going to take for people to get their heads around it and i did a little survey of you know average people on the ground here in my part of japan and they're not keen mm. they're not keen to demask right. and I, I was like wow why and they're like no i like it like this mm. so i really wonder what's going to happen <laughs> I really wonder why though too then mm. yeah and it's not around COVID. it's around other things like I like not having to spend hours on my makeup. I like to feel like I'm being protected from other people's coughing and germs and or whatever it is. I like to feel anonymous with my mask on. There's a lot of different reasons. I think there's a lot in that last one. The anonymous. Mm, I feel anonymous. Yes. And so I, it's, I can relax that. a little bit more mm. in my daily life. Mm. Mm. And it's it's very much become a safety blanket for people. Right. Safety mm. blanket. Over the last, I, I, yeah. A very, very weird kind of safety blanket. Yeah. yeah. No one's going to criticize me if I have a mask on. Wow. Well, goodness anyway. me. Moving on, though, Jane, to the, the episode we've got coming up. Very interesting. Very yes. interesting. We're speaking with Tim Harvey, and he has mm. his own uh, consultancy business based out of uh, New Zealand called WITH, W-I-T-H, WITH Consultancy. He was with a big sports agency as their Japan representative for a very long time. He, oh my goodness, where to start? He, contracts he's just, he negotiate? Contracts yeah. he's negotiated. He's set thousand successful contract negotiations between New Zealand and Japan enterprises. 500, half of those have been rugby related. Um, and he's just so focused on relationships. And you'll hear this all through the episode. 
raised with really strong moral values and that's just really carrying him through the way he does his business with trust integrity and conviction yeah I, some really great stories of just doing it your way even when you have you don't have the upper hand really mm. like you know creating some boundaries you're not willing to um cross mm. and being very successful in doing that so yeah really great story and we love the connection with this particular guest to another uh, part of our community the Jandals community which is the dinobores team and uh tim mentions a few names uh of the dinobore uh, team members who some of them have created their own podcast as well which is called the japan rugby, rugby weekly, weekly podcast yes so you can weekly hear them <laughs> speaking about uh, rugby in japan their what they think is going to happen in games looking at their own games and things talking about heated toilet seats even you know all sorts of fun things about japan i'm sorry you guys but that's that was one of the first episodes i listened to and that was what they were talking about that's funny but well, i just happened to be talking about preview of the matches coming up but they also have a bit of banter about those sorts yes, of things about japan, japan i think things. one other episode though was being a dad in japan and oh, how you wow. can do that that was so sweet you got to listen to that one yeah, um, yeah they're great we love the japan rugby weekly and we hope we hear more from them um and certainly we like the boars as well seems yes. to have been our adopted rugby team for yes. some reason we are Dinobores fans. So, yes, we hope you enjoy this episode with Tim. Kia ora, Tim. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you very much. So we like to start with a warm-up question. Yeah. I've got a super special one for you today. Tell us your anaba in Japan. You're a place you love to visit that's off the beaten track that nobody really knows about, but you don't mind sharing with us. Um, I guess uh, being brought up in Hokkaido, it's Hokkaido is always my favorite place. So going back to my uh, Kitami, which is top of Hokkaido, which is I think still got a few rallies there that I know know. So yeah, going, going to see them um, every now and then, which is very rare. But yeah, getting into Kitami would be it's always a good place to go. What's the name of it again? Kitami. 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 Yeah. Mm. And what's there? what can you do there? It's right at the top top of uh, Hokkaido where it's pretty much snowed under for five months of the year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of the rugby teams go up there for, for their gashku, you know, the, the summer camps. So it's it's just a beautiful place. I mean, it's, you know, it's farmland, it's, it's skiing, it's a bit of everything. Sounds like a great place to get away from the heat then in summer. If, yeah, it's, yeah, it's still hot. No, it's still hot. It's yeah. hot, but probably not, yeah. <laughs> not quite like yeah. Tokyo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about Catherine? Do you have an anaba? And yeah, I've just written down Kitami, by the way. But anaba, I, I have to admit, Jane, I didn't know this word. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So it's a new word for me. Thank you for teaching me. I really love... Um, the underrated place of Kyojima where Jennifer Shinkai, one of our friends, lives mm -hmm. out in Sumida-ku in Tokyo. It's old Tokyo, old Japan, or an old city Japan. And I go down there and I love the old shrines and temples there. There's lots of old warehouses that have been converted into more modern premises. Or you can go down the back streets and see the Jichan and Bachans selling dried fish and um, vegetable shops and things like that. So I love that place. Also, my favorite wine bar, uh, Apero, um, has a little wine outlet there too, which is just lovely. And so that's the place that I think is 
hidden in Japan that mm -hmm. perhaps many more people should go and see. Very good. You, Jane, you must have a few. Um, well, my, I think I might have mentioned them before, but, you know, Totori is one of those places where more people should visit and just experience real Japan and real, real nice people, amazing food. But there's also this beautiful mountain there and it's called Daisen. And it looks like Fuji from certain angles. It's a, it's a very sort of sort of cone-shaped mountain. You can go skiing on it, you can go hiking, and you can see the sea from it, which is really unique. Like, there's not many places in Japan where you can actually see the sea from the mountain. They say it's the only ski area in Japan where you have a sea view from the mountain. So I'm sure they've checked it because it's their, their claim to fame. <laughs> But there's also like a Yayoi era village on the mountain and it's a very interesting place. Yeah, so really see some different sorts of things there. I have not been there. I have to go there. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, Really lovely. Everywhere though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, we're so glad to have you on the show and now you're fully warmed up with uh, the chit chat that we started with. Um, we know that you run your own agency uh, out of New Zealand, but very, very closely related to Japan with consultancy. It sounds really exciting. We're really, really glad to hear more about it. You've got a history of real uh, intense Jap Japanese rugby athlete management, and we're looking forward to hearing from you today. So we'll be putting your full bio into the show notes. But tell us a bit more, Tim, about your background, your association with Japan, because it goes back to your very, very early baby days, I believe. Yeah. Uh, even young young child days and how you came to end up working in this industry um well i'll try and keep it as brief as possible but yeah born well, i was born in new zealand but raised in japan and was in japan until I was about 12 years old so my parents were missionaries over in japan and when i was 12 i couldn't say you know how are you in english like the japanese was like anything i could i could speak so mm. up in kitami there was no international school so just went to the local schools and then my parents decided, well, well, at 12 years old, they can't speak a word of English. We probably should should teach them their native tongue. And, and we came back to, to NZ. So um, from 12 to 18, I came back and then was at Open Boys Grammar. And then after that, in between not knowing what to do at university, went back to Japan and did a bit of a working holiday experience on the ski fields. I worked at 7-Eleven at one stage. And then... Um, got hired so the rugby start started actually when i was 18 when my father had a translation business went out and took two kiwi players and i hadn't seen my father for 12 months so he said well come over to tokyo you know spend a week with me and um yeah just spend some time together and basically with mitsubishi dinobores which you've interviewed a couple of um couple of people already from from there they ended up taking um back in the 95 i think it was one rugby player, and then they didn't have a rugby translator, so I said, well, Mr. Tim Harvey, could you come over and be our translator? So that's that's basically how I got started. I wow. just had a bit of, bit of dumb luck, to be honest. Um, so I got started at, as a rugby translator at Mitsubishi Diner Bulls, and then did that for one season, then came back, started running a golf shop, as you do when you're being a golfer, <laughs> and then while I was doing that on the side, every time Mitsubishi wanted a rugby player, they, they'd always come to me and say, well, you know, we need a number eight or we need a 10 or whatever. And and back in those days, there weren't any agents. There were probably mentors, lawyers, there were accountants that looked after rugby players. So I rang three rugby players, which was, I probably can't mention the names, but they're the ex-all blacks anyway. So 
and it just so happens the three rugby players that I rang were um, managed by, you know, what it, it eventually became my business partners. And they sort of they were just starting out an agency at the time, and they said, "Well, you know, we're looking for a Japan guy. You know, clearly know your stuff in Japan and rugby. You know, would you come on board?" And back in those days, was because uh, I was just starting out. They said, "Well, you know, we want to hire you, but we don't have any money to even pay you. Would you come on as, as a consultant slash? You know, we'll pay you commission as you as you do deals." So that was yeah, twenty twenty two years ago. I guess we started that one up. Goodness me. Wow. Yeah. Did you play <laughs> right did you play rugby at school? You must have. I mean Auckland Grammar. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. I, I played played rugby as well. I played um I went up to Auckland, played Auckland under twenty ones. And then being a little man I got concussed a lot. So uh um right. the doctors told me maybe it's not your sport anymore. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, talk about right place, right time, right skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just yeah, having that experience, lived experience of being in Japan for all that time, picking up obviously a few things along the way and realizing they were useful. That that's mm. very exciting. So and, how, and, and, yeah, how did it grow yeah, that, from there? Yeah, it was well year one. There's nothing to actually look at. To you know, how do we do it? Um, and I guess. Coming from it, you know, a person of a church background, I, I I like taking care of people. So naturally, my sort of natural instinct was okay. Once you do a deal, you make sure you look after that person, you look after them well. Because as you as you all know, it's it's going into Japan. It's it's an adjustment. So you know, giving them as much honesty as possible, and then when they do stuff up, you know, br- some brutal honesty is always you know my approach of way of getting it. So initially, I thought, oh, two years would take me to established myself as a good agent it took me six months probably to to really you know, get into the the mainstream and it was just through once again Mitsubishi started off with them then the Kantoku or the the head coach at the time was someone that was well respected in Japan um, he opened up a few more doors uh, to other companies and yeah just just grew very quickly year one we did 16 players and then it consistently Consistently, you know, did 20 to 30 players a year, I guess. Mm. That is incredible. What does it take then to be a good agent? What is this you're telling us? And I guess, too, you're learning from them the other side, especially in this case, in those early, early days. It's not just one way, is it? You know, you're not teaching them there's something coming back. Tell us a bit more about that sort of part of your work. I guess being being that translator was was a great opportunity, understanding how the the company side thought of foreign players. because, you know, you, as a foreign player, you become a superstar kind of instantly and you get treated, you know, a little bit um, abnormally, if, if, if that's right. So it does um, play on your ego. It can mess up your life a little bit, you know, because you're put on a pedestal. You're you're now our superstar. You're our, you know, our saving grace kind of thing. So just trying to keep it real, really. So back in those days, I was brutal, honestly, you know, it's, it's hard work for first six months. There's something that you need to get through because, especially if if you've got a partner, the boys have 40, 50 mates straight away, whereas, you know, the partner is is at home not knowing how to even buy stuff at the supermarket, doesn't have friends. Mm -hmm. So being a better husband at the beginning is is something that I've always taught if you're a married man. I'm keen to hear, since now that you've done all of these deals, (laughs) how can you teach us? to be better negotiators in Japan or so that a win-win for everyone perhaps uh, in going into negotiations in Japan? Is there some 
your top three I mean, tips. <laughs> we can top three tips. I mean, down to that. I, I had my enemies as well, so I can't say mm. that I was perfect at it because, I mean, 20% of the time you're fighting. You know, you're, you're fighting with someone they don't like you. 80% of the time everyone likes you kind of thing is, is the way I operated it. And, and why was that was because I was quite brutally honest. Um, that's probably the Kiwi in me, very direct, um, whereas, as you know, Japanese are indirect. They're mm. sometimes maybe could be a no or could be a yes, whereas, you know, us Kiwis, we want to know, is it a yes, maybe or no? So I made sure that I, was, I knew what was, if it was a yes or no without you know, insulting the culture. So I think it's just being brutally honest, really. Yeah, brutally honest. I, oh, how do you do that in Japan? <laughs> I mean, give us an example. I, I, oh, I'm feeling a, a, something going up my spine as you said that, and I know what you're saying, but how do you do that? Because it's a really great way to be able to be successful in Japan if you can be brutally honest. Yeah. Perhaps it's bringing in that kindness you mentioned before. Yep. Have you got an example without giving away too much? Of where that went quite well, where your brutal honesty held somebody in a, a space that was safe for them, but brought them through to be a different person after, right? Or something maybe that didn't go quite well. I remember once. I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but it doesn't worry me. Um, one of the one of one of the general managers of a Japanese team. He's and he was an arrogant man, to be honest. He, he sort of rang me up and said. Uh, had a bit of a go at me for something that had nothing to do with me, but I had all the information that I knew about it. And on the phone, I went Choshinonna to him. Choshinonna? No, Choshinonna. 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 I'm get into this with you kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he goes, oh, um, do you actually understand the word Choshinonna? And I said, yes, Choshinonna. <laughs> <laughs> And it was, it was one of those moments where I'm going, I'm extremely angry, but I, I, I was, I was very calm about it. And I said the word, and it's very, yeah, it's very insulting to, to say that to someone in Japan. And then we ended the conversation 12 months later, the same guy came up to me and said, um, thank you for saying that to me because I was that person. I was, I was, I was arrogant and um, you're the first person to be brutally honest to me like that. And I changed my ways and I, I want to start a game, build this relationship again. And it's, you know, those sort of things that I, at the time I thought, oh, I would probably cross, cross that line a little bit too much, but, you know, he still came back 12 months later and, and apologized and, you know, we did great business together after that. Wow. Excellent yeah. <laughs> story. It's like, it's kind of, you almost knew that that person needed to, change for them to be successful um as a person going forward but that's really yeah. amazing gosh yeah i'm stunned <laughs> yeah there's other ones i can't say but you know there's obviously been a few incidences with foreign players in japan so i've had to be quite honest about um maybe we should make that player come back to new zealand for a holiday because we don't want things to, to come out in the open so yeah, there's been many instances, well, not many, luckily, but um, a few instances that uh, probably can't be repeated. What are some of the things that do tend to trip players up, like that they maybe is okay in New Zealand but not okay in Japan? Alcohol, definitely. Alcohol. Yeah. As you know, zero tolerance in Japan with drink driving, so you can't drink anything. So I've had many cases where they've, you know, oh, 
she'd be right. I had two beers. I'll just drive myself home. And then, yeah, it's not all right. No, it's not. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's probably the biggest problem. It's, it's loneliness and alcohol mm. has stuffed a few players up over the years. That alcohol one is a big one, isn't it? Like maybe people don't often understand that you're on the clock for your team, even when you're not on the clock for your team. And until they, it really takes a long time for people to realize. And same for any business, any job that you have, you're Mm. on the clock for your company on your Sunday or Sunday evening, as well as, you know, any other day of the week. So that's for people to keep in mind. Yeah. And it does affect your performance as a professional rugby player as well. It's, um, you know, over the years, I've seen some guys, even coaches, turn up. You know, going out to four o'clock in the morning, and then they expect to function at eight o'clock in the morning for for a, you know a training run, which is yeah, it's not yeah. good. Yeah, you're right. right. It affects your performance and your judgment, doesn't it? There's always yeah. the times yeah. where I've had a, one too many glasses of wine, and I'll think I promised something that I shouldn't have. Right, and the next day you're thinking, why did I say that? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's a really good point is to be careful and moderate around the alcohol. And so when rugby players come into Japan, are you giving that kind of training guidance help to them or is it something that they get and then forget and it's only when an incident happens that you can remind them? What, what happens there yeah. with bringing people in? What's the onboarding for Japanese contracted players? Yeah. One thing we definitely did always do is when we sat them down, they're about to sign the contract. You talk about the zero tolerance of alcohol. Um, I talk about past experiences. You know, some, some guys that have, you know, really stuffed up their career because they went out boozing and they hit someone or they went out boozing and drove. Um, you know, the, that made sure. And, I, you know, I've done over 500 co- players into Japan. Pretty sure that, you know, probably 499 boys, I told them this is the number one thing that you got to be careful of. And, and there were some guys that I refused to represent as well. I would tell my business partners that I do not want to send that person to Japan because we know what their background is. Mm. You know, behind the scenes, everyone knows who's who's not a good person. Right. So you can be a great rugby player. You can be the fastest on the field or whatever it might be, but you may not be brought in because of your character. So character matters yeah. in Japan, right? For, oh, huge. huge. Not only for rugby, for all sorts of relationships. Yes. Right. Is that yep. key then to building relationships in Japan, the character part of things? What would you say? Yeah, I, I think the, one of the reasons why I, I did so well in Japan was because I was brutally honest about, you know, this guy has this background, um, so you're going to be careful of, of that player. Or I made sure that I've sent the players to the right teams. If someone's from, you know, for, for example, someone's from Invercargill, and he goes straight into Tokyo, it's, it's, it's a massive culture shock to them. But if he goes to someone like Kamaishi or Honda or Panasonic, um, which is more out, out in the rural area, then they, they actually adjust well. So I made sure sort of I tried to, I guess, not manipulate it, but try to put them in the right place that matches both the character and the, and the team character. Yeah, I which, can which totally happened. yeah re- relate to like that. And someone did me a favor a long time ago when they sent me to Japan because I'm mm. also from somewhere near Invercargill. <laughs> And they said, no, you won't last in Tokyo. You're going to Tohoku. And here I am in Fukushima now, and I'm very pleased that they sent me here. Um, I didn't think yeah. so at the time. I was like, I want to be in Tokyo. Tokyo's where all the fun happens. But, yeah, I think I was turned out to be a lot happier here in, in um, mm. Fukushima, that's for sure. So, 
Yeah, that's really great that you have that skill to see where people might succeed. And you can always trade up later if you get used to Saitama, yep. you can move to Tokyo later. Yeah, it's a great way to, to make people hit the ground and be more successful. Yeah. And from, you know, you said 500 contracts there, Tim, very quietly, you slip that in. That's a lot of contracts. I mean, I'm a lawyer and I do contracts, but I don't even know if I've done that many. Well, I might have, but you know, what's your learnings from those days of being in the agency here in Japan? Things that really, really were great, that really went well, um, that you'd like to help people understand that might help them if they're thinking of doing something similar to you, working in Japan, maybe not exactly the same job, but working in Japan and being successful here? Well, it comes down to, once again, being honest. You know, I think you can't try and manipulate people. You just, you just got to use your ability and be as honest as possible. And I've always believed my, I guess, my upbringing has taught me to be, you know, as honest as possible and have, have high integrity and, and, you know, moral standards. So, just just keeping those standards high and you know I, I got told so many times that you probably can't do this you shouldn't do this but i i ignored everyone and pretty much did it my way anyway so <laughs> i did it my way that sounds familiar what's well, one of those can you tell us one of those stories when you did it your way and it worked even though everyone said like nah you can't do that um, just off I, the top of your head there yeah there's there's a negotiation deal uh someone needed to sponsor a certain tournament and everyone said no there's no way you're gonna get money out of that out of that crew and and i also went to a a language this is a weird, weird one but it's a body language class literally the week before and, and how do you manipulate people in a in a, in a meeting room and right. just certain certain things you do in a meeting room that makes the other person want to understand and, and believe what you're saying um Ooh, tell us tell us tell us <laughs> Oh, for example, if you if you lean forward in a meeting room, what I just did, yeah, 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 and you stay, yeah. you, you stay there within two minutes, the other person will start leaning back and sort of go, oh, you know, I'm letting him or her lead lead me, and those sort of little things like that that I learned, and and taking those into a meeting room, and and I I remember doing the sponsorship deal for a for a company or a tournament, and trying to manipulate this room with body language and by the end of it goes, yep, Tim, I believe what you say and we're going to, we're going to sponsor that tournament. And I was, you know, inside me, I was laughing because I was just like, oh, I just, that was a real body language sort of learning moment there. And is that yeah. the one that they said you wouldn't get the sponsor for and you did? Yeah. People around me said, no, they, they were just wasting your time with them. It's tie kicking. Um, but yeah, within a couple of months, we got a, you know, a good sponsorship deal and good relationship going forward as well. Wow. Okay. Well, now you're running your own agency. You made the big decision to go out on your own and yes. start your agency. Tell us about what kind of work you do. What are the services you provide? And maybe a little bit about why you decided to do that. Because you've been in a big agency. Why would you do, want yeah. to go and do it yourself? We think it's great, but tell us why. <laughs> well, it's funny. Even the opposition rang me up and said, "What? Why? Why did you know you're head of the game? What? Why did you leave?" And it just came down to, I have a passion for helping people, and during lockdown, what what I noticed was there's a lot of single uh, mothers, there's a lot of elderly Japanese in, in Auckland, there's a lot of uh, Japanese struggling in, in Auckland in general. So, how do I create a almost like a Japanese community center to help these people out. And then I sort of, it came down to, well, I can't do, keep 
this rate agency going as well as doing that as well. And something had to give. So I, I sort of said, well, sorry, guys, I'm, I'm out. I want to concentrate on ha- helping other people, but also obviously need to earn some money as well on the side. So that's why I sort of went out and said, well, what, I've, what I have learned is I know how to get into Japan. I know how to negotiate in Japan. I know how to open doors for people. Um, so starting up a consultancy uh, business where I can help you know, medium to whether it be medium to large to small New Zealand companies get into Japan. How do I how do I go and meet someone at Mitsubishi or how do I go and meet someone at Panasonic? Of you know, I know all the people there. So helping them out get you know succeed the way I succeeded in Japan as well is basically what the consultancy business is. But the reason why I did it was so that I can start up the community center. Tell us so about someone, this community center yeah, just us. a little bit quickly while you're mentioning it. Um, yeah, yeah, so I've got like a couple of restaurants uh, that also provide me with food so I can provide people that need, I guess, on, on low income or on, on a single you know, mother's salary, um, yeah, providing them with food every, every month. Um, plus there's a lot of domestic violence that, I, that I, I've seen as well. So we're trying to set up a helpline through our church at the moment as well. So, yeah, just concentrating on how to take care of people better you know i've i've taken care of rugby players all their lives it just so happens i was good at negotiating on the side so that's i'm just trying to do the same thing but um in the Auckland community so it's a right. for purpose part of the way that you do your work now and being by yourself and running your own agency enables you yeah. to also give to the other part of your business your life that you want to give to yeah correct yeah 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 that side is 100 voluntary so it's you know i don't get paid for that it's something that that's my passion um mm-hmm. yeah yeah That's so you awesome. talked about how to you help people get into japan you help negotiate people into japan you open doors mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit more about that how you do that what does it work, feel like to work with tim when we ask you to help us i'm, I'm a, a kiwi exporter i've got a great product i've got a great service i want to go into japan tim help me what do you yeah. do to help them so- one, I'll, I'll sit down with their team and say, okay, what, what are you trying to sell? Where are you trying to go? And then I basically come in as an advisor. So there might be some projects where I'll, I'll spend only two months with the person or I might spend one day a week or half a day a week with, with that company saying, well, why don't we look at look, you know, reaching these different uh, – so for one example, I'm doing a whiskey one at the moment. So how do we get into the department stores? How do I get into the whiskey uh, distributors and – during those trips, I'll, I'll go and meet the people and say, okay, I've met with so-and-so and so-and-so. We should tie up with them and then start that start their business together. So rather than trying to do yourself wasting two years of, of probably your company's life, I could do something in three or four months. Um, it's basically is what I can do. Mm, yeah. You can really speed it up for people, yeah. get, them, get them in there. And so it sounds like you – you know, you have your values, which are really important to you. What kind of company do you, do you want to work with or what kind of clients are you looking to work with? What do you look for? Well, I was just, uh, still starting out. So I guess it's, yeah, early days for that sort of things. But um, you, you just know when you're in a meeting room, you know, can you relate to that person or can they relate to you? And I think it's vice versa. I'm not, I've, you know, turned down a lot of um, offers so far because I just, it doesn't feel right. Right. Um, so if it, if it doesn't feel right for me and it's not a good feel factor, then I'll just turn it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and are your contracts mostly, as you just said before, two months short term so that you're really 
almost like your brutal honesty, you're short and sharp and you get there quite quickly. Is that how you like to operate rather than long-term contracting? It just depends on the kind of client or on the product or service. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've always believed if you're doing a good job, you, you work yourself out of a job. It's, um, it's, it's almost what I did with my last job is, is, you know, I made sure that when I left that it was left in a good place where I was no longer needed. So the people that I put in, uh, you know, ex-client of mine, Corsair, and also, you know, I made sure that he was he was well-trained, that I wasn't going to be missed once I left. So, yeah, same thing. So what's coming up for you that you see in Japan that you think New Zealand businesses could really help or serve Japan going forward? What are you seeing from your vantage point? And to be honest, it's a great unknown. To be honest, uh, I think Japan's about to rocket. You know, go going good places. To be honest, um, New Zealand's doing all right, and I think there's a lot more things we can do in in, in Japan. Um, you know, it's not just limited to New Zealand, but I think the way the world is heading with with all these sort of you know world wars and um, Japan's quite a safe uh, country to get do business in at the moment. It's an aging country, but at the same time, the younger ones are are more willing to go out and ask for foreign help, whereas the last generation probably wasn't. Mm. So if we're thinking about coming into Japan, Tim, what makes a Kiwi in particular, perhaps? Is there something that we have that's an X factor that we can bring to the way that we do business with Japan? I think it would be really helpful from your perspective. You've been here for so long, done so many. Is there something that you think it's innate with the way that you've approached as a Kiwi? Well, I, I think any foreign person could do well in Japan, but the reason why Kiwis do better, and I'm probably being biased, but, but I've dealt with the you know, the other countries with rugby players, they're more humble. Kiwis are just, it's a bit hard for me to say, but, you know, we're a little bit more humble. We're down to earth. We, you know, like to roll up our sleeves a little, um, and we respect the Japanese culture. Whereas I notice with other you look at all the coaches that I've sent into Japan and, and the ones that succeed are the ones that respect and understand the culture. The ones that go, it's my way or the highway, they never succeed in Japan. Whereas the, the coaches that I've sent to or the good players that I've sent to Japan, they understood and wanted to learn the culture and they, they adjusted themselves to change with their culture. Whereas I can brutally say Australians don't. Um, they, they, <laughs> when cut, I, the, the, <laughs> There later, but well, there, it is. It's, it's all about my, my way, and that's that's how they didn't succeed in Japan or, or the other countries. Whereas Kiwis tend to adjust and understand the culture. Mm. There you go. Is there anything though that also <laughs> continues to surprise you about Japan, even though you've been connecting with Japan for a long time? The way things are done compared to New Zealand, and um, things you know that you just let go. What's the sort of thing that you're talking about? Rather than taking the highway, what kind of cultural thing do you just let be? We're somewhere that you might tackle a little bit. Shall we use a, a pun there? Yeah. Tackle, but ones that you just leave on the sideline. Oh, that was good. Oh, well done, Kathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the puns. On the fly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you have to be patient with Japanese. That's that's the biggest thing. I think uh, I remember dealing, you know, one of the companies telling me, sorry, Tim, but, you know, they might be the nicest guys in the world, but then they have to go and deal with, you know, the the board members or the two IC and they, they'll they'll – Japanese will say, you know, we're like the Titanic. It's we're massive, but it takes a lot of us to turn this, you know, turn this um, ship around. So, dealing with Japanese companies, you have to be patient because you have to deal with all levels, whether it be high, middle, or, or low levels. 
uh, management, I guess. So patience, but also not giving up with, if someone says no, that doesn't necessarily mean no from the person who loves him or her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could become a yes. I would love to hear um, like an example of when you've had like a negotiation and you've had this really like kind of I, my answer and how you've managed to sort of bring them to give you a, a clear yes or no. Have you, could you, do you maybe have a story you could share with us like that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, when, when you sort of promote plays, you, you normally have sort of two or three offers on the table. So I might've had you know, an offer from someone from Osaka, someone from Saitama, some, someone from Tokyo and, you know, you, I've, I've always given them clear deadlines, you know, by Friday, stuff and such. I'll need to have your final offer because um, this, this player needs to decide. And so some of them think you're, you're joking, but then I guess consistency, I've always said, if I've set a, a certain date and it, that date has to happen. So it's just making sure you have multiple offers, really. Okay, so you're teaching them how to how you operate as well by yep. sticking to those deadlines. And so when yep. you say it's Friday, it's Friday, and they miss out yep. otherwise if they haven't come to you by yep. Friday with their offer. And then they learn, and oh, I, we yeah. be on time next time with Tim. Yeah, and, and ah. I've had management hate me because of it because, mm. you know, well, you didn't give us one last chance. And all, there's no last chances. <laughs> I gave you the deadline. They want a la- one last chance. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So you're showing yeah. where you stand, right? Yeah. If Tim means mm. it, if we don't come back to him by Friday 4 p.m., he's going to move yep. on. So yep. you get yep. that reputation. It's not the other way around where, oh, he said 4 p.m., but he really means Monday 9 a.m. Yep. So we can think about it. Yeah? Yep. Well, yep. if you were writing a forward to a playbook for working in Japan, Tim, what do you think would be in that forward from you? Tim's advice on people taking that path of entry to japan what would be the key things you pop in that forward i've asked you to write the book well not the book the forward to the book i'll write the book (laughs) tim's words building relationships is the most important thing i think you you gotta you can't just go send an email and say you know i'm i want to do this negotiation you gotta actually build the relationship first and i went do that go up and visit them Year one, I remember I did 16 trips to Japan 20 years ago, making sure that every time I sent someone over, I was there, I was, I was meeting the, the you know, shachos or the butchers of, of the company. And, you know, the, those those relationships are, you know, they're, they're still good friends of mine now and we don't do business together, but, you know, we're still mates and we'll catch up for a coffee or, or a glass of wine. And um, so it's putting the effort in to build relationships. I think it's, that's the most important thing. That's number one. What else comes in that forward? Because I'm going to be reading what you're saying and I want, okay, relationships, okay. What else does Tim have to say um, <laughs> about opening that door here and being really successful? Well, I, I guess I have to go back to the basics where how did I do, do it 20 years ago? And that was, you know, back in those days, you had to send faxes because they wouldn't accept emails. And, and, I'd just ring the, the the front desk up saying, can I talk to Mr. You know, Nishimura from, from the rugby department? Because of, and, and if that person said, no, I can't introduce it, then I'd find another angle and then come through a different angle. And I, cause that's how, yeah, that's how I did it back 20 years ago and succeeded. So if you're doing it again, it's the same concept. Just keep just, trying you all know. your angles. Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm, and yeah. and, and use your relationships. Away at the first person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think J- Jesse, uh, who you interviewed a, a couple of weeks ago, said the right thing is, 
you know, it's through those relationships that you end up opening other doors. And that's the way she, you know, she got onto Japan as well. Yeah, you never know who's going to open that door for you. It could be the person who works the elevator, like literally the lady on the elevator could lead you up to see the CEO. Like, yeah, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I I remember I I got invited by one of the Formula One teams to go up to Suzuka. Uh, No, Mount Fuji, sorry, Mount Fuji Formula One. And, you know, you're you're in the VIP sections with all the the drivers as well. And I remember going afterwards... uh, you, know, you had to make your own way back to the train station, and it was a four-hour train, so four-hour line to get onto taxis. And you know, Japanese would just stand there for four hours and be quite happy about it. So I went, I went to the front of the line, met these two Japanese people, and said, "Can I pay for your taxi fare if I can jump in the same you know car with you?" I've been friends with them for fifteen years, you know, just just through <laughs> just do things out of out of the norm. I was going to wait for it. That is so beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What's coming up then for you, Tim, things that you're ha- happening in your business that perhaps people who are listening could hear about? Is there anything yep. that you'd be offering if someone wants to get in touch with you? Is people who listen to this might think, oh, I'd love to get in touch with Tim and find out more and have him yep. help me. I can only give examples of what, what's happened recently. And, and hmm. I've had a few companies go, well, we've done business in China, but we don't know how to get into Japan. What, what do we do? Can you sit down with us? And it's simple, you know, I'll, I'll meet with them first First up. There's no charge. So I'll sit down, chew the fat, and this is what I think I can do for you guys. And then you either hire me or you don't. Um, right, right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. When are you that. coming next to Japan? I'm actually taking my son up to Japan in, in March. Um, he's off to Toyo University for four years. Mm, very playing good. Playing rugby and studying, which is, which is good. So, playing yeah. rugby and studying. Yeah. Great. We hope to catch up with you when you're in Tokyo in March yeah, then, good. if you're around. Yeah. We will... We'd love to. It's our one-year anniversary of Gentles in Japan, and we would oh, love you to that. be part of it. Yeah, yeah if it works good. for your schedule, yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving us this insight into, you know, what goes on with, like, various negotiations, how you can, yeah, help maybe Japanese people to know how to work with you as you, if you become, if you're becoming a negotiator in Japan, there's some really great tips that you've given us today. And we hope that you are successful. Well, we know that you're going to be successful with this project that you have going on in Auckland. And mm-hmm. as we're talking at the moment, it's just, we've just had the torrential rains happen a few days ago and people in Auckland are, you know, not in even started recovery yet. I don't think it's, it's a long way to go. Um, is there anything that you can think of off the top of your head where if people are listening to this, they could go and donate or something? Is there like a a, a particular yeah. web page or somewhere where um, people, like a, I is don't know, give a little page or, or something? Yeah, that's going around. Go you know? Is there someone centralizing any of that or? Yeah, I think I mean I was at, at the pool in the sauna this morning, and you could hear the 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 anger towards the government at the moment because there's you know lack of that sort of stuff. Whereas you know I think the local community is just rolling up their sleeves, and because I know even my my community is a Facebook page, and you know how do we who's in trouble? Can we go down with shells and and help you guys? And that that's awesome. You know, just good good to see Kiwis just going out there and helping others. Um, which, which they're doing because they're probably not getting the right support from from government at the moment, but from what I'm hearing. So, yeah, if we hear of anything, we will pop something in the show notes where yep. people can uh, donate or yeah, contribute in some way uh, to help Auckland recover from this awful flooding that they've experienced. Any last words, Tim? 
No, no, thank you for having me. And thank we'll, you. Um, see you in March. We'll see you in March. Yes, Congratulations, we'll in March. Tim, on yep. being a really, so honestly, truly successful Jandal in Japan. And thank you for telling us all about your story today and sharing your tips for success uh, okay. in this land of the rising sun. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow, what a great interview with Tim. I loved hearing about what goes on in the background of those sort of negotiations between for getting rugby players into Japan. Yeah, and some of those pitfalls that we need to look out for, right? The old alcohol. Yes, right. The number one thing that trips people up. And I would say it's not just rugby players, right? Everybody who comes to Japan needs to be careful about alcohol usage while you're here. It can derail your life. Like people lose their jobs for this regularly here. We've just seen one um, minister of something have to be relieved from his post for getting done for drunk driving recently Mm. yeah japan Mm. is very severe on all of this right um potential clients not that i can help them because if it's litigation based i can't but people will contact me who are kiwis or others and they've got into trouble in japan and they're doing this kind of silly thing often it's a, a getting on a bicycle when they've got out of a train off a train stop and they've had a little bit to drink and they just borrow someone's bicycle to get home and think it's all right. And they get caught for that. Uh, you know? Caught for stealing the bicycle or yeah, well, for borrowing for as they being put it. Intoxicated. It. Well, both, right? On the bicycle. Intoxicated on the bicycle and then dri- driving the bicycle, riding the bicycle, um, you know, that's not theirs. And so it's not yeah. borrowing, it's, it's taking. And so just being really <laughs> careful on those sorts of things. Um, and not being, you know, the arrogance of, well, I was only borrowing it. Well, actually, no, you you stole it. <laughs> you stole um, it, yes. And right? you're intoxicated. Double yeah. whammy. Yeah. Because you're not actually allowed to ride a bicycle under the influence of alcohol. It's also not okay. Even though I know a lot of people do that here. It's, <laughs> it's actually not okay yeah but the limit is zero yeah that's right japan has the zero tolerance and it's really important that we uh you know that's one of the things that we can't change about japan and neither should we and i don't think japan's going to be giving up on that anytime soon so that's one key aspect of being successful here is to follow the law follow the rules that you are on the clock for your company 24 7. it does not matter that it was sunday night this is going to come back to your company and you're going to be in trouble. So don't you, do it. You are yeah. ambassadors for your country, mm. in this case, New Zealand, every single day that you are out there. People ask you where you're from, what you're doing. They're watching all the time. Please be uh, on the clock. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of clocks, I really loved uh, when Tim spoke about boundaries on his scheduling and he would give an offer to people and they had to come back to him by a certain time and if mm. they didn't they missed out i think that's really really important is that sort of wow, flexibility great... on things but not on a time frame i loved that he talked about that deadlines be really really bold on your deadlines mm, i guess especially if you're negotiating with three potential offers and you want people to give you an offer by a certain time then you need to teach those places how you deal with offers and that you don't accept offers after X time. Um, yeah, it's it's a great way to to think about doing business if you can keep that, uh, exactly. that? boundary. And, yeah, yeah keep that boundary. that boundary, right? And, you know, he talked about the successful parts of Kiwis is to be humble, down to earth, roll up your sleeves, respect Japanese culture. But in the same way, 
um, often say Japanese are flexible and like flexibility, but the boundary around time and deadlines, I think, is really quite key. And I, I really want to pull that out, I think, is mm. one of the key things that he said today. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about his being honest and being brutally honest? That came being out so many honest. times. Yeah, I think we're brutally love. honest. Both of us have had coaching in our lives. And I think that is also very important is to be respectful in the way that we deliver that mm. brutal honesty. But it actually does matter and helps people in the end is that great example he gave. <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing example of telling someone where to get off when they he really needed to. Oh, my goodness. Um, and that it worked out in that case um, in the end. And that's great. But yeah, the 80-20, right? 80% mm. of people are going to like you. 20% are not going to like you. <laughs> and we aren't always in the work we do to be liked. It's about mm. respect. And if we can build it through being honest and sticking to your values um, and Tim's, you know, values of trust, integrity and conviction with his business. I mean, that makes so much sense. Mm. And I think the third thing that he called out was just relationships. We've had this as a golden mm. thread through all of our episodes, but at the very beginning, he talked about caring for people, mm. right? That's how, caring for his players how to and, do it. Cause he said, yeah. there's no how to do it when he came in Japan and there often will not be a book. We hope that people listening to these episodes are building up their how to do it mm. for Japan, but look after people well. He mentioned many times about someone he knew 15 years ago or he met in the taxi line. What? And they're friends now because they mm. shared a taxi just mm. that way. And I think Tim's got a real knack of building relationships. And I feel with his business, uh, he was being humble himself, but he's got a real way of helping people get into Japan, negotiate open doors. And um, mm, sounds like it. Sounds Gosh. like it. The negotiator yeah. king. Woohoo! Mm. Yeah. Well, we're what a great episode. Yeah, we'll put Tim's uh, information in the show notes. And if you want to reach out with him, please tell him you heard about Tim on Jandals. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Thanks, everyone. See you. Yoda. listening make sure you check out our guests links in the show notes this podcast is brought to you today by Catherine o'connell law and pod launch with jane if you have a great story you think should be on the show come and find us on linkedin or instagram we'd love to hear from you see you next time mata ne.